All right, let's go ahead and get started here and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 will be starting in verse number 2 there. <clears throat> going to continue our series here on using the law lawfully. It's been a couple of weeks since we were, just about three weeks since we were last in this particular series. So today we're going to look at two of the laws in the Old Testament, see if they apply to us as Gentiles, and if they do, how do they apply to us. So starting out today, Deuteronomy 4, verse number 2, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And let's turn over to Deuteronomy 12, and verse 32. Deuteronomy 12 and verse number 32. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. And so here we have a command in the Old Testament about not changing the Word of God. The Old Testament command is that the Jews were forbidden from adding to or taking from the Word of God. And as far as the New Testament application, we should recognize right away there's a New Testament passage very similar to this. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, all the way to the end of the Bible. Revelation 22 will be in verse 18. It's Revelation 22. And verse number 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And the next verse, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of, the, of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so here we have, for at least the book of Revelation, that's what this is talking about in particular, for at least the book of Revelation, we have the same command given to us as Christians, and we're not to add to or take away uh, from God's word. And so, of course, the question is, that applies to the book of Revelation. You have the Old Testament command applying to the law for the Jews. What about all the rest of the Bible? Uh, well, for that, let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30 and verse 6. Proverbs 30, and we'll be in verse number 6. The command in Revelation is based on a general statement that we find in the book of Proverbs. And, you know, we've mentioned several times in the series, the book of Proverbs, even though it's Old Testament, uh, these are general observations about life. They're, they're general principles that apply to all of life. This is, Proverbs is not just written just for the Jews who are under the law. It's this general principles that everyone can apply. Uh, and we see that in Proverbs 30, verse number 6. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Let's start in verse 5. You see context here. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Okay, and so here we have this 
command again, not add into the Word of God. Of course, the subtraction is not included in this particular one. It's the same concept. You don't change the Word of God. And here we have the reason. Lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So changing God's Word, he's going to judge you for it. And he's going to prove to everyone, hey, this person is wrong and I'm right. That's, that's the way God is going to handle everyone that changes his word. And so in Proverbs, we see this general principle. Anyone who changes, adds to, or subtracts from the word of God, they're going to be judged by God. They're going to be proven wrong before the world. Uh, and God will be proven right in that uh, particular instance. Okay, so that's the... First command we're looking at today, changing the Word of God. Yes, sir. It just, I might be interested, when I lived in Utah, mm -hmm. morons were missionaries would come around, and I would use that verse in Revelation whenever we get into this Book mm -hmm. of Mormon right. stuff. And just tell them, you know, we both believe on the New Testament, it says no Book of Mormon, let's just stick with that. And then you could go through the Romans Road. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't believe it, but you could still right. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could do that for a lot of the, the different cults, the uh, Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, you can do the same thing for the Catholics. Yeah. Lots of uh, lots of different cults and groups that have added to the Bible over the years. So there's a lot of it taken away from it, too. Got, um, a lot of the, uh, the critical text of the Bible takes portions out of the Bible. Uh, and of course, the argument is, you know, how do you know which portions actually were there and which portions were not? It, it, we can get into that. We actually did talk about that several years ago, but uh, there's, there's ways to show that the text that the King James Version is translated from is the correct text, and the critical text is the incorrect text. But anyway, that's another lesson for another day. But the command here is to not take away from the Word of God and to not add to the Word of God. And that command still applies to us as Gentile believers uh, even today. All right, let's go on to the next one. This one is very interesting because... This command we're going to look at next explains uh, somewhat of a hard-to-understand passage in the New Testament uh, from something that Christ said. So let's turn to Exodus 22 and verse 28. Here we're going to find the command against cursing rulers, cursing or reviling rulers. So Exodus chapter 22, verse number 28. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. So here we have a pretty simple, direct command, <clears throat> but it's often misunderstood, especially in the King James translation. I didn't actually look at the other translations to see if they all keep the same translation here with uh, reviling the gods. Uh, what are the gods here that he's talking about? So we're, we're going to look at that. First, let's <clears throat> consider the word revile here. Let's go to Judges chapter 9. <clears throat> the 
book of Judges, chapter 9, and starting at verse 27. We've got a little story here about Abimelech, and we looked at Abimelech in our previous series, but we're going to just look at him just briefly here. And they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trode the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. That word cursed is the same Hebrew word that is translated reviled in Exodus 22:28. So when we look at this story and their cursing of Abimelech, we can get an idea of what is meant by the word revile in Exodus 22:28. Here we have Gaul in the next verse. And Gaul the son of Ebed said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is not he the son of Jerubal and Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? And would to God this people were under my hand. Then would I remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, Increase thine army and come out. So here we have Gaul, who is uh, refusing to serve the ruler, who is Abimelech, and saying he's, I'm not, he's, not, he's not a ruler. He's not the rightful ruler. Why should we serve him? We have no reason to, to be under his authority. Um, basically, he's rebelling against the authority of Abimelech. So Gaul demonstrates to us that to revile someone is to have no respect for the position that the man holds. And we have this philosophy today that you respect the office even if you don't respect the person. And this is where that comes from. It's in the Bible where it talks about uh, not reviling uh, the people that are over you. It's respect the, the office. To revile them is to have no respect for their office. It's not no respect for their person per se. It's to have no respect for their position uh, in life. And that's what we see here with Gaul. He is reviling Abimelech, has no respect for his position as the ruler over him. Okay, and then now let's go back to Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. We have, Thou shalt not revile, that's having no respect for a position that a person holds, but thou shalt not revile the gods. Well, who are the gods here? It's talking about the pagan gods that are around Israel. Uh, they're talking about this pantheon of gods that actually exist. Uh, you know, what, what is this phrase here, revile the gods, mean? We can get an idea of this when we, again, look at the Hebrew word here. The Hebrew word actually is the Hebrew word for gods. It's the word Elohim, which is the same word that is used for God himself, except when you have Elohim used for Jehovah God. Elohim is a plural word. That's why it's translated gods here. But with Jehovah, Elohim always takes a singular pronoun in the Bible. And so uh, we can look all throughout Scripture. You know, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you go through the whole uh, chapter, that's all Elohim. That's the name of God. And it's plural, a plural name with a singular pronoun because you have the Trinity, the three and one. And we can see that all throughout Scripture. But the word here actually is Elohim. It is the word gods. And so it's translated correctly here with thou shalt not revile the gods. But I don't think it's talking about pagan gods or gods at all. It's not talking about deities. This is talking about people. 
the same word that we see here, Elohim, is also translated as a in a way, way other than translated as God's in a couple other places in scriptures. Let's go back to Exodus 21 and verse number 6. So Exodus 21 verse 6, it's one page over, swipe your screen one time or something like that. Alright, Exodus 21 verse number 6, Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. The word Elohim is in this verse. Now we don't see the word, or the translation gods in this verse. Instead, it is the word judges. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. And it's not talking about him bringing him to this pantheon of gods. It's talking about him bringing his servant that wants to be a bond servant voluntarily becoming a bond servant, you take them to the judges, the judges witness that, and then the uh, man you know, t puts the all through his ear and, and he'll serve him forever. Okay, that's the, the first instance that we see of Elohim being translated as judges. But now let's go back to Exodus 22. So we're in the same context here as ex Exodus 22, 28. But we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor." All three occurrences of the word judges in those two verses is a translation of the word Elohim. Other places in scripture, judges comes from the word uh, Shaphat. doesn't come from Elohim. But here in this passage, God gave the judges the name of Elohim. So the, the judges are referred to as Elohim by God, I think, as a way of showing the place of honor that they hold. They are representing God. They're judging and telling people this is what the law says and this is what you should do. So they're standing in the place of God, representing God to the people. And the people are to give them the same respect. You're supposed to uh, honor the judges just as you would honor God uh, if he were to give that judgment and say this is what my word says and this is what you should do. Right, and so I think God gave them his name as their title to show the position of respect that they hold. And now, that's just my opinion, but I think it's supported by other passages of Scripture that reference this passage of Scripture. Let's go first to John chapter 10 and verse 34. John 10 and verse 34. And here, uh, Jesus said, as, as context, he has talked about God being his father. And the Jews have responded to him saying, you're, that's blasphemy for you to say that you're the son of God. And so in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, 
I said ye are gods. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. And so he puts this challenge before the Pharisees. It says, if you remember in the law, the law says, I said ye are gods. And so God, he's saying, God himself called human people gods. And that is a reference indirectly back to Exodus 22:28. What he's actually quoting here is not found in the law at all. Even though he says, is it not written in your law? He's able to say it's written in the law because the verse he's quoting is still itself a reference back to Exodus 22:28. The verse he's actually quoting is found in Psalm 82. So let's turn there. We'll just read the whole psalm. It's only eight verses long, real short here. So Psalm 82. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. And here we have that word Elohim again. So God is giving a judgment to the gods, the Elohim, and this is the judgment God gives. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked, Selah? Okay, so here we can see he's using this word Elohim here to refer to the judges of Israel. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked, Selah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor, uh, poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. This is all quotes from the Old Testament law back in the, the Pentateuch. Uh, where God gave the instructions to the judges of what they were to do. And here he's referring to all that here in Psalm 82. And then we have verse number 5. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. And so here we have in verse number 6 the exact words that Jesus said in John chapter uh, number 10. I have said ye are gods. Now remember, you notice here it's past tense. God is saying in Psalm 82, I said in the past ye are gods. Uh, the time that he said that in the past, speaking to the judges, was Exodus 22 and verse 28, uh, where he's talking about the judges and refers to them as gods. Uh, talking about not reviling the gods. And so we can see it all all fits together. You have Exodus 22, uh, 28, Exodus 21, 6, earlier in Exodus 22, then you go to the New Testament, you have John 10, you go back to Psalm 82. Uh, all these references to these gods all fit together to show us that this is talking about the judges of Israel. So that's who is being talked about in Exodus 22:28, when it says that you're not to revile the gods. It means you're not to uh, have a lack of respect for the position of the people that are put in judgment over you. And that's what that part of that law means. That's a long time to get to one little part of the, the Old Testament law. But let's go back now to Exodus 22 and verse 28 and we'll wrap this up. All right, so Exodus 2, 
verse number 28, Thou shalt not revile the gods, and then the second half, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Uh, curse here literally means uh, to curse, which is to command the damnation of God against someone. That's what that means. That's what it means to curse. It's, it's the, you know, to <coughs> just tell you the, the phrase, if someone were to say, God damn that, that is a curse. That is what the word curse means. It's commanding God to bring damnation against someone. That's what it's talking about here. So not to curse their rulers. There is an example of this in the New Testament. So even though we're still looking at the Old Testament law, there's a good example of this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 23. An example that comes to us from the chief of sinners. A man who called himself the worst sinner on earth. Of course, not someone that we think of as a great sinner. But it's coming from the Apostle Paul. You say Acts 23? Acts 23, verse number 1. <clears throat> and Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So here Paul is quoting Exodus chapter 22, verse number 28, uh, when he says, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. That's the second half of the verse. Thou shalt not curse uh, thy ruler. And so the, it's interesting that the Pharisees or the, the council, uh, when they challenged Paul, they quoted the first part of the verse. about revilest thou God's high priest. Talking about revi having uh, revilement toward the ruler. Paul quoted the second half of the verse, you're right, I shouldn't have done that because I'm not supposed to curse my ruler. And so both parts of the verse are here in this example. And so we see that, that Paul, by saying, God shall smite thee, that was him commanding the damnation of God against an individual. And so he was cursing the high priest, and he's not supposed to do that, it's against the law. And so he apologized and said, you're right, that was wrong, I should not have done that. Um, so that's the Old Testament command that we have here, that we're not to uh, revile or curse rulers. That was what the Jews were told. Now, does that apply to us in the New Testament? Well, staying right here in Acts 23, we can see that Paul, this is toward the end of his life. So this is very much after Paul had become a Christian. Uh, he's... And the way most people think of Christianity, you know, if, if the way most people treat the law were true, Paul would not be under the law. He would not have done anything wrong by uh, cursing the high priest here. But yet he apologized and said he should have followed the law there. Uh, so from Paul's example, we can see that Christians are also forbidden from reviling or cursing our rulers. But in addition to that, we also have an explicit command commanding us to honor our rulers and that's in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. 
1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. Simple little passage here. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Okay, so here we have again the command to be to have honor and respect toward the ruler. That's what it's talking about with honor the king. You have respect and honor toward the ruler, you can't do that if you're reviling him, because to revile the ruler is literally to not have respect that is due to his office. You can't do it while you're cursing him, because you're wanting uh, God to you know, cast him from his position and basically cast him into hell. That's not honoring your ruler. Uh, so this command here to honor the king encompasses the Old Testament law to not revile or to curse those that have the rule over you. So that's the law about reviling your rulers, and we see that it does apply to us as Gentile believers even today. Any comments or questions on that one? No? All right, well, we're several minutes early. Let me uh, very quickly take you back to Psalm 82. I just want to point out something neat, something else neat in this psalm. It's it's a it's got a lot kind of hidden in here that can be uh, a lot that can be learned from this passage. All right, but in Psalm 82, if you notice in verse number five, you have all the foundations of the earth are out of course. The whole context of this psalm is that it's talking about the judges people that are in authority, the people that are leading uh, those under them and supposed to be leading them in the truth, but they're not. They're not leading them in truth. They're not judging correctly, and so God is going to have to judge them. And in that passage, in that context, we have this phrase, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. And what you see here in this word foundation, or foundations of the earth, it's not talking about the rocks and the you know basalt and all that underneath the earth. Uh, it's talking about men who are the leaders on the earth. They are out of course. They're doing the wrong thing. Uh, so they are the foundation of human society. And so God refers to them as the foundations of the earth. We actually see this several other places in scripture. And if you go to the website, increasinglearning.com, I've got an article on the pillars of the earth. And that's a phrase that we see several times throughout the Old Testament, and we even see the reference to them in the New Testament once. But the pillars of the earth, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, that shows that the Jews had the same uh, mentality of the earth being this flat surface that's held up by pillars, and you know the pillars are not going to be moved, and so that's how... Uh, God keeps everything, or that's how God created the, the whole earth. Is that he, he created this disk that sits on these pillars, and no one really knows what those pillars are sitting on. But, you know, they, there's these pillars that the earth is sitting on, and it's referenced all throughout the Old Testament. Well, the pillars of the earth have the same explanation as the foundations of the earth here in Psalm 82. They are referring to people. And you can see that several places where if you look at the context, you don't just look at that one little bitty verse where that shows up. If you look at the context, you can see God is always talking about people when he refers to the pillars of the earth. And one 
instance, the instance in the New Testament is where Paul is talking, I believe it's to the Galatians, um, or maybe it's the Corinthians, uh, where he's referring to Peter and James. And he says that he went and spoke to Peter and James, who uh, were so thought of as pillars. He didn't say pillars of the earth, but he said, you know, these men are supposed to be the pillars. And then he just goes on and says, what, you know, I didn't care for that. It, they didn't mean anything to me. And, you know, going on saying he accepted no man, but looked only to God. Uh, but he re used that phrase referring to them as pillars, uh, which gives us an indication that other places in the Bible where you have these pillars of the earth, it is actually talking about people, the people in authority who are the foundation or the pillars of human society. So anyway, that had nothing to do with the lesson, but just something neat that jumped out at me as we were reading Psalm 82 just now, and it might help explain some things. All right, any comments or questions? All right, well, let's go ahead and be dismissed in prayer. Russell, it's good to have you back. Why don't you pray for us?